Oh, it's going to be a day. It's going to be a day. I got no socks on. It's about to be a time. No socks Sunday. <laughs> Good luck to y'all. Woo! It's about to get real. You guys can go to Luke chapter 11 if you want to get your books ready. Luke, Luke chapter 11 if you want to get your books ready. Today's a unique type of day. We're mixing up how we do this message a little bit. Um, and, and I got some things to address in the community and, and a little bit of teaching to do. Someone say, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for the lesson. It's going to be a good one today. I need to learn this too. I need to learn this too. Guys, we're in week 11 of I'm here. Y'all are still here. Well, that's a long series. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Part two has been the building blocks of how you actually operate with authority. Giving us the how-to. Obviously, there's so much more to learn in the Word of God, but we've talked about how the author is the one who has the total authority. We talked about how there is royalty in your bloodline, literally in your lineage. It is undeniable that you are a king or a queen, that you are equipped with a different mindset. Someone say mindset. You have a different mindset. A royal mindset. And you've gone through noble training. Years and years of practice. And God has used every experience for the good of the kingdom. And then last week we talked about what you actually have authority over. That which you defeat. And that's what you, that which you've been given. And so all of these building blocks in place to help us understand how we can walk in authority in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace, in church. How we can operate with authority over I don't know, the enemy's schemes. How we can operate with authority over our friends. Not over them, but on their behalf. We got to start walking in authority. Yeah, it's time. It's time. We got to start walking in it. And so we started off uh, the series number one with this statement right here about Jesus um, going and, and preaching and teaching. And everywhere he walked, things were different now. Everything changed. He would raise people up. He would break bread and 5,000 people would eat. It was different wherever he went. But the problem is, is that he's no longer here on earth in the physical. But those who are faithful, those who believe in the way, the truth, and the life, walk with him on the daily. In fact, the Holy Spirit is in you. I got a new tattoo again. I love my tattoos. I got the Ark of the Covenant, which was where the presence of God was held. And we've been sharing this scripture, 1 Corinthians 6. Someone say the word. Someone say it. Do you not know? Do you not know who's in you? The presence of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, church. If you're a believer in the way, the truth, and the life, do you not know who is in you? There's people who sit in pews. There's people who sit in churches for decades and do not acknowledge the fact that God is in them. God is residing in them. He is a deposit guaranteeing what is yet to come. In other words, you're going to receive the full inheritance of heaven, and that's a beautiful thing. But he's going to walk with you day in and day out, counsel you, teach you, guide you, lead you, encourage you, comfort you. Do you not know, church, that the Holy Spirit is in you? It's time to start recognizing that. Acknowledging him for who he is. He's here, and he's in me. And if you're a believer, he's in you too. Mm-mm-mm. And so we've been saying this statement. Someone say, I'm here. I'm here and it's different now. Y'all awake today. Yeah, I know we had a somber moment. I'm crying. Em's crying. 
But we're gonna we're gonna get ourselves going. Someone say, I'm here. It is different now. I'm here and it's different now. I'm here and it's different now. I'm here and it's different now. I am here and it is different now. And that's not some arrogant statement by some skinny jean wearing pastor who thinks he's dope. No, that's not what this is. I'm saying this, that wherever we go, he is there because he lives in me. That's why I can actually say, and that's why you can say it too. I'm here and it's different now. You can walk into a place that has nothing or wants nothing to do with the Savior and it can be different now people shutting you down for your faith that's cool it's different now I'm here can't stop it I'm hearing it's different now when I go pray over my son and my daughter. I'm hearing it's different now when I meet with people. On a phone call I know it's different now. A tough conversation I know it's different now. Not because of me but because of him. My marriage it is different now. Walk with authority. It's different now. You will receive power. Someone say power. The ability or the capacity to perform an activity. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so let's put it in a little bit of Nick Miller version. Wherever I go, it's going to be different. To the corners of the earth. And you got a different corner to cover than me. So let's go everywhere and be different and walk with power. And here's, here's the whole point of this series is we were showing the results. Let my people go. All nations will worship. Fear has to flee. We were showing the results. But we're not walking like we're capable of doing it. We're not walking like we were worthy of a different life. And that's why we got to start establishing these building blocks. Amen, church? So I'm really excited for next week. Because what we're going to do is we're actually going to go back to series one. I showed you the results before. Let my people go. Fear has to flee. Let's go back and let's try it again with everything that you've learned. Let's go back and try it again with everything that you've learned. With the royal mindset, with the training, with the lineage in you. Let's see how we receive this message a little bit different. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. And so I'm here to tell you today that you are marked for a different life. You are marked with the the ability to walk with authority day in and day out. It's time to get out of your chair, go into Monday, and actually live the life that that you've been called to. Receive it and walk in it like he tells you to. It's time to get up and it's time to start doing it. And church, i got to brag on y'all. I see you doing it. And it's really exciting. I see you doing it. And it's really exciting. So let's keep doing it, yeah? You're giving everything. Hey, Nick, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know how to do that. That's okay. You might not have all the skills. You might not have all the knowledge. You might not have the billions and kajillions of dollars to do everything. But I will tell you this, that where God is calling you, he's given you everything that you need to go and make a difference, to go and be different wherever you step your foot. And so I'm telling you that there is no excuse. You can go and do it. Jesus, he goes and he lives this perfect life. He sees broken humanity. He descends into earth, lives a perfect life, sinless. He gets falsely accused for blaspheming when truly he was the savior the son of God and he goes and he dies on this cross he breathes his last breath he says it is finished he gets buried in a in a borrowed grave and he rises again leaving once and for all death in the grave 
He's the conqueror. And then he shows up to his disciples. They panic. They kind of spread out. They're like, oh, no, Jesus is gone. And they spread out. They run away. And he finds them again. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I've become the chief of police. Now you're the officer. Go handle this problem on Coolgate Drive. Go handle this. I have the authority. Now you go maintain this. You go lead this. Rebecca gets wild on Coolgate Drive, right, Rebecca? She's loud. She gets the neighbors calling her all the time. Partying it up, Billy. But come on, Becca. You have everything that you need. You have all the authority that you need. And look at what it looks like to walk with a life with authority, walking with the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 16 puts it like this. He said, this is that moment. You got the badge. Now go for it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go ahead. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Someone say, those who believe. That's not just a pastor guy. That's you. That's you sitting in row three. That is you. That's you. Not just me. That's you. Not just some seminary guy who wrote an awesome paper. That's you. Not just Stephen Furtick who has a church of 30, 40,000 people. That's you. Believers. Believers, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. This is what it looks like to operate and walk with authority, church. And you've been given the keys and the authority and the badge to do it, so now go do it. Now go do it. Now go do it. You got authority to do it. Now go. So we've been talking about these building blocks. And I wanted to wrap up part two with this because I know that this happens. I want to talk about this, and this is the bottom line for today, and, and it's this fact that sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot when it comes to authority. Sometimes we sweep our own legs out. Sometimes we get given this responsibility and we don't utilize it or honor it well. We may even lose it or squander it. And so I'm telling you today that heavenly authority needs to be maintained by a heavenly lifestyle. In other words, let me put it real simple for you. If you're a king, live like it. If you're a king, maintain it. You wouldn't get the position and then just sleep every day. How's that going to work for you? You wouldn't get the authority and then just slough around the whole time. How is that going to work for you? No, if you truly are a king, it's time to live like it. You need to maintain that authority, and you need to live like a king. Amen, church? And so here's here's the hard part uh, about being a king is that there's so many difficulties. It's the the quote, um, what is it, Spider-Man? Great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, it's true. Now that you're a king, your operation is different now. Now that you have this authority and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, it's got to change. That old way is gone, church. If you're put in this position, this is crazy. If you're a king of a nation 
and you got to manage budgets and lead people and establish law and, and maintain rule and, and you got to go and plan ahead and establish health for the kingdom going on forward. You got to maintain relations with external nations. You got to go and do X, Y, and Z things. You got to make sure that your staff is healthy, your council is healthy. How much time do you think you got for 20 hours of video games? It changes when you're a king and you got many new challenges. And if you really are going to step into this authority, your life is going to look a lot different. There's going to be way more responsibilities that you have. Truthfully, you got to get over yourself. Actually, this is what's crazy, and this is what I've been noticing about King Jesus and what I'm here to tell you today, that actually the position of a king that we seek after it, it's actually the most sacrificial position you'll ever take. You will never, this is crazy, you'll never, if you want to be a good king, you'll never live for yourself ever again. Never. That's how many challenges there are. That's how many roadblocks. That's how big your responsibility is. That's why if you ever look at pictures of presidents when they first enter office and then leave, it's like they age 28 years. There's a different level of responsibility. Someone say, I'm a king. I'm a queen. There you go. I'm a, you know, you know. It's going to be different now if you are in that position of authority. And the problem is, is that if you don't realize or recognize that that responsibility is great, many kings fall and lose that authority. And, and so when you think of a king falling and losing authority, the first thing I can tell you what went on in my mind, because I like action and Lord of the Rings and adventure, I think of being conquered. But that's not why most empires fall. That's not why most kingdoms fall. Most kingdoms fall because a result of personal management more than outside forces. They do not live up to the title. They get distracted. They do things that sweeps out their authority. They do things that, that withholds them or restricts them from leading the kingdom well. Not every nation is just conquered. It's just that when it's mismanaged, cracks start coming through and things start falling apart. And I'll even say this. Show me a healthy kingdom and I'll show you a kingdom that is hard to conquer. And I would venture to say that most kingdoms that are, co- are, are conquered have personal mismanagement. You can look at the Roman Empire when it starts and it starts getting established and the Republic and everything. Then Caesar, the great king, comes up and he conquers and he goes and wins and he establishes great patterns, great authority in the kingdom. And then you read about like 10 or, or 12 emperors later and you're like, whoa, y'all are crazy. Y'all had no business being an emperor. There's people who became emperors by literally cheating the system and murdering the the Senate so that they could be in positions of power. How's that going to go for you? It ain't going to go well. There's emperors who literally indulged in every sort of fantasy that they could imagine and through all of these games, and it fell apart. It happens over and over again. And this is why we say, this is, this is also a, a huge thing that I love to say is, um, you're a direct reflection of the authority that you're under. So the kingdom is healthy when the king is healthy. And so these kingdoms fall perhaps because of personal mismanagement. 
And that's what I'm here to talk to you guys about today because I know me, I mismanage things too. I, I walk with authority. I do it day in and day out. I feel like I got my chest all puffed out. I'm ready to go. And there are personal mismanagement moments that sweep my legs out. And so my question for you and I to consider today is this. Do you, do your actions as a king or a queen reinforce your heavenly authority, your royal mindset, and your noble training? Do they reinforce it or are you sweeping yourself out? Are you edifying what God installed in you, put in you, or are you sweeping it out? I sweep it out. Anyone else with me? I do. I do. And so I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit today about a couple things. And uh, you'll, you'll see this be addressed. You'll see this be addressed in seven different areas. So I don't have a lot of like take-home practices for you. Today is an introspective day. A look at who you are on the inside. A look at what's going on inside of you. And I got a couple things that I think that we can observe and talk about as a church that maybe you're not aware of. Maybe you're not thinking about, maybe you're not checking on, that might actually be taking you out. Y'all ready today, church? So there are seven things that I think that limit our authority. First one is this, where apathy resides, there will be limited authority. This one's a, this one's a fun one for me because uh, when I was younger, and I... St- <laughs> I still don't know these things. Empathy, sympathy, apathy, anything that ends with a fee, I'm like, what is that? And when I think about it more and more, apathy is the lack of passion, drive, initiative. And if you're a king, you got to keep reinforcing and keep reinvigorating that passion to lead your kingdom you got to be passionate about the land that God has given you. you got to be driven about the responsibilities that God has entrusted to you. you got to keep going even when you don't feel like it. And I'm here to tell you that I observe, even me and the church, that when it gets hard or when we're distracted, we become apathetic. And then we wonder, why am I not feeling as strong anymore? Why, why is this not working anymore? Why is this not... It just doesn't feel the same. Has anyone ever felt that before? Maybe you've become apathetic. That drive to go and win. That drive to go and maintain your kingdom. That drive to go and keep growing things. Maybe that's gone. I've had that even in my own life. I was given a beautiful position of youth pastor. And something happened where I didn't maintain my heart well. And I became apathetic and I didn't really care about what I was saying. What I was doing is I was speaking on prior revelation and my, my, my spirit tank ran out. And I will tell you towards the end of that time, the position that I was in and the way I was handling it was chaotic. Apathy is a huge deal. You got to keep reinvigorating yourself. You got to keep that passion and that drive. And it's really hard when people go away or they step away or they, let's, let's speak about the truth here. I know your life is filled up when you come to prayer room four weeks in a row. And then life hits, you maybe got a barbecue in the morning or a birthday party. You don't have a barbecue in the morning. You got a birthday party in the morning, a little brunch date, that's cool. And you start consecutive missing and then you're wondering why your prayer life isn't as vibrant. 
these things, this apathy comes in and sweeps out authority. Whatever you do, I love this. Go ahead, put this up here. Whatever you do, it says in Colossians 3, work heartily everything you got. Give it all of you. A hundred percent. Someone say all in. All in. I'll tell you this, church. I don't care if I'm tired. Last night, I was up until 2.30 working on this, and I woke up early, early in the morning to finalize it. I don't care. I'm all in today. I'm running on fumes. I don't care. I'm all in today. I'm all in today. Nothing can stop me. I'm all in today. I'm not going to take a break. I'm not going to go half-hearted. I am all in today. I have every excuse to be apathetic and just, mm, let's talk about the Word of God, guys. You don't deserve that, and I'm not going to lead like that. And so I tell myself at 6 in the morning, wow, Nick, you're really tired, but no, you got life in you. Let's go. I get rid of that apathy, and I'm going to work as if working for the Lord and not for men. I'll tell you this. If Jesus was in this room and said, Nick, will you preach? What type of effort would you think I give? 100% of my effort. If he said, hey, Hey, Lisa, would you watch this kid? If Jesus came up to you and asked you to watch that kid, what would you do? 100%. You would cancel everything out and give it 100%. That's what this is saying here. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so if you've been given this heavenly authority, know that you're not doing it for this world. You're doing it for the Lord. And if he's asking you to do something, I'm all in. I don't care if you're tired. I'm going. I'm all in. There is no room for apathy in the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for not being apathetic towards the end. Thank you, Jesus, for maintaining that passion for me all the way up to your final breath. Imagine him giving up early and being apathetic. Ah, Nick's not worth my time. Serious? He's the greatest king ever, and he never was apathetic. No room for that. No room. All in all in every day and it is hard and it is exhausting but it's worth it knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward you know why he says that is because on the days whenever (laughs) the days when you are up until three and up at six and still writing your message you're like what is the reward in this I don't have to see the reward today I just know it's coming so I'll go 100% I know it's coming Maybe it's a seed that's planted that blooms and grows into a beautiful tree. I don't know what it is, but it will come. You're serving the Lord Christ. That's what this is today. No room for apathy. Amen, church. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about this. I love this. Um, I had, there, was a, there, was, there was a moment where I was in church once, and, and it, how do I say this? Someone showed up late. And a leader said, you should treat this like your job. Would you show up late? A leader said, you should treat this like your job. And the person in authority said, no, 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 we don't want to offend you. Come on, it's okay. The room and the allowance for apathy as a kingdom culture No, we're working as if we're working for the Lord. When you show up here, you give it everything you've got. If you're asked to serve, you go 100%. If God has given you a beautiful family and a home, you lead it 100%. If he's put you in a job for a specific reason, you give it 100%. And so I'm not going to withhold an offensive statement when you're here. Treat it like it's your job. 
We don't have apathy when we're here. Look at what, what Jesus said to Peter, and I love this. Go ahead, you can put this up here. This is Matthew chapter 4. So we're talking about, in Colossians, he says, work heartily as though you're working for the Lord. I love this. No, no, no. Put the, go back one. Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. They are working. This is their profession. This is how they make their living. And I love how Jesus addresses them and calls them, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, go ahead, go ahead. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, you're going to work and give it everything you got. And you're going to operate and treat it like your fishing business, which you're giving life and death effort for. You want to provide for your family as a means to an end? How you've been fishing all your life, dedicating everything about you to being a fisherman? Now we're going to do it for the kingdom. And I love that he addressed and, and asked them to follow based off of how they work and their frame of reference for work. No room for apathy. Amen, church? So... Where there is apathy, where it resides, it may sweep out and limit your authority. Nope, go ahead, go, keep going. I know I said it, I know I said it. No, go all the way to the end of that, Matthew 4, yep. Keep going, one more, great. The disciples were called to treat their ministry as though it was their life's work. The disciples were called to treat their ministry as though it was their life's work. If this was your life's work, your life's passion, everything about you, what percent you go in? 100% day in and day out. I know there's hard days, but you still go. You still go. Amen, church? Good. Let's talk about the second one. Where division develops. <laughs> where division develops, there will be limited authority. So when the king has this council and he's presenting vision for the future where we're going as a land the things that are ahead and when he has this council and everyone is going in different directions not receiving the vision pulling the kingdom in different ways this is when the the the, the kingdom enters into chaos and if you're not representing as my councilman if you're not representing the heart of the king and you're pulling the nation in a different way that's where cracks start to come in and that's where things start to break this is why vision is so important and strict adherence to the vision is so important that's why when we say experience Christ's heart and share his heart with others, every decision that we make is based off of that vision statement. Is this going to help people experience Christ's heart and share his heart with others? If that is the reason or if that is what it edifies, then yes, we can make this decision. But when we start walking with division and then we allow division to continue to develop, there will be limited authority. I'll give you the simplest example. We had this the other day, me and Emmy. Parenting is fun fun and so Warren wasn't listening and I said <laughs> I said no Zevia for you and M said no no he was allowed Zevia and I'm like come on oh my gosh you thwarted every bit of the direction in me and then he got his Zevia and my authority as the man of the house hey I just, I was like, I was trying to teach him a lesson on listening and obedience and all that type of stuff. 
And that wasn't her fault. We didn't have a united vision in that moment. And so we had different opinions. And then it totally swept out the authority for the moment. To neither fault of one or the other, it was us lacking unity. Does that make sense, church? I didn't go and pull her aside and say, hey, Warren's been disobedient and mean. We need to deal with this. I don't think you should have a Zevia. Not until he apologizes to me. Because I deserve it. And that simple moment, lesson lost. Does that make sense? Isn't that interesting? The slightest of things. Division just limits our authority. Look at what it says this. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in same judgment. And this is a process. This doesn't just naturally happen. But what I am here to encourage is that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in me, but he also lives in you too. You see that God is a God is a developer and a builder of unity, for even he is the most unified with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unity is in his nature. And so if the same spirit is in me as in you, we will come to a unified place. Unified over what really matters. We can both say, Emmy and I can both say that we want to teach Warren how to listen and be respectful. How we get there might differ in opinion, but we're at least going after the same direction in one mind and, and same judgment. Are y'all catching that, church? So we need to come to unity. We need to pursue it. For if we don't, it will crumble. Our authority will be stolen. I love this. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Do you know that even the enemy knows that he has to be unified? that even Satan and his kingdom prioritizes unity. For if there is disorder and a lack of respect for authority, his kingdom falls. I would venture to say this, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm gonna say it. I would venture to say that, that the enemy prioritizes unity more than most believers. Go ahead, put this up here. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons? Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. How are you doing this stuff? Why are you kicking out this demon? How are you doing that? This seems weird. Sometimes when God moves, it's weird and it's ununderstandable. You cannot figure it out. And a lot of us who are logic and analytical, it is hard to figure it out. I've heard it said that, that the Holy Spirit has a hard time with working with those who are smart. Because I need to figure out how this works. And sometimes God's just going to blow your mind. You need to just believe it. And so Jesus knew the thoughts and said to him, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Is his kingdom still standing? Clearly he's unified. Clearly his kingdom has an objective, and everyone is sticking to the plan. Am I preaching to you all right today? 
I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by a demon. It doesn't make any sense. He's pointing out the fact that the, even the enemy's kingdom would never fight against itself. Even Satan knows his own kingdom loses power if it is divided. Church, are we unified? Here's the other thing. Have we sought and pursued unity with other churches? I'll tell you, I try all the time. I prioritize that. I try honoring other churches. In fact, if you're coming in here and you're talking poorly about another church, please, don't, don't bring that here. We have to be unified. Amen, church? Division will limit authority in your home, in your workplace, in church. Division will limit authority. Amen? So let's, let's look. Let's look at that. Take an inward look. Is there division? Well, let's get it out. The third one is this. Where fear, fear does exist. Fear does exist, church. There will be moments where you will be afraid. There will be moments that are too big for you to handle. There will be trouble, as Jesus says. And that is okay. But where fear wins, that's where it's different. Where fear wins, that is where there will be limited authority. Imagine a king who is panicking and is operating operating from a place of fear rather than of confidence, assurance, and faithfulness. It is a whole different kingdom. This is why we cannot allow fear to win. It will come. Fear will say, you can't do it. Fear will say, stay in bed, it's not worth it. Fear will say, stop fighting. Fear will say, don't put yourself out there. Fear will say, don't come up and receive prayer. Fear will say all of these sorts of things. Do not let fear win. It will limit your authority. And in fact, Christy, when we prayed for you today, I just feel like breakthrough's coming. This might look different than what you think, but breakthrough is coming. God's with you. Where fear wins, there will be limited authority. If I, can I give you another example about children? I see this all the time. I just don't want my daughter to run away from our house, so I won't ever discipline her. She's going to run rampant. You have to actually be willing to let the prodigal son go, knowing that they'll return. Emmy just shared this morning that Warren said, I'm leaving the house. And he got to the door, probably saw that it was dark outside and said, nope. My mom's nicer. And so when you don't operate with fear with your children, you actually grow closer to them. It is one of the most backwards formulas and one of the scariest things to do. And I have yet to face that challenge with teenagers. God bless my soul. Please, you can protect me. Um... But, but that is what happens is that these children go wild because we're afraid to address and afraid to push them away. Does that make sense, church? When you lead your home with a fear mentality, you have no authority. You have no authority. And so your kid's going to call the shots and make all the rules. <laughs> I'll tell you when I come home. Honest? That's what happens. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Yep. Go ahead. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Be prepared. Here's why we succumb to fear is because we're not prepared to face it. 
it hits us, this moment hits us. Listen, if you're in a season where your teenager is rebelling and going a little wild, that's okay. These seasons come. But if you wake up and you start preparing yourself, I'm going to respond this way. God, you're going to give me wisdom when I answer. God, you're going to show me what to say. God, you are going to protect me. You're going to build our relationship. When you start praying in a particular way and getting yourself prepared, when the moment comes where your child starts rebelling and saying something, you respond with faith and not fear. So you got to get ready daily. That's why I lose to fear is because I didn't prepare well. Amen, church? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand up against the schemes. Fear is not of the kingdom of God. Fear is not of the kingdom that we belong to. That comes solely from the enemy, period. And so there's this moment. Someone say Peter. Peter is an incredible, an incredible man of God. He's going and leading and, and, and building the, the early church. And Jesus is being persecuted. Jesus is being persecuted. And, and Peter gets this rambunctious faith statement. I'm with you to the very end. I'm your ride or die, Jesus. And all of a sudden, it starts happening. And people are mocking Jesus, beating him up. And Peter's like, ooh, I didn't sign up for this. No. And he starts hiding in the crowd. He still wants to be close to Jesus, but he's hiding in the crowd. And the crowd starts to notice that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is in here, in the room, looking and observing and watching Jesus. And look at this. Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You are also with Jesus of Galilee, right? He denied it. He wasn't prepared for this moment. He talked really big. He didn't put all the preparation in. Talked really big. He denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. I don't know this guy. I don't know this. I'm just here looking. After a little while longer, go ahead. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And then he went, go ahead. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, There's, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. They made an accusation that was actually true. This, this guy was with Jesus. And he denied it again with an oath. Oh my goodness. I promise you I wasn't with him. Words today, we, we use that flippantly. Oath was like, it was the word. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let me say this. After this moment, Peter runs away from Jesus, doesn't observe anything that's going on. And do you know where he ends up? Back to being a fisherman. All these years of training to be a, a leader, a man of authority, all of these years of training under Jesus himself is thwarted, unraveled by a little girl who asked him a question. A little girl's question unraveled three years of authority training under Jesus Christ himself. And out of fear, he threw everything aside and said, that three years was not worth it. I'm going back to the nets. got to be prepared that's why I love how it says be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have because when someone starts accusing you and coming at you and really challenging your faith fear will kick in and you might compromise what it is that you believe you might be asked to do something extraordinary a faith step even and if you're not prepared and ready to go you might miss that opportunity 
Fear can unravel years of training. And kings who operate with fear, the empire will crumble. So we got to not let fear win. I know it's going to happen. Do not let it win. Someone say, it's not going to win. It's not going to win. No longer. It does not win. It does not win, church. Be honest with yourself, what you're feeling afraid of, and push through it. And I know it's really uncomfortable. Even if it's a hard conversation, like let's say someone hurts you. Okay, um, and especially this happens in marriage because it's really hard, even in marriage, to be transparent. You don't want to hurt or you don't want to be hurt. And so you're afraid of the consequence. Push through and even say to your spouse, Emmy, I'm afraid to come to you with this. I'm afraid you'll leave. I'm afraid you won't like me. I'm afraid you'll yell at me. But here I am. Don't let fear win. Amen. This is a good one. Number four, where indulgence corrupts, there will be limited authority. Uh, there, was, there was this show that, um, oh, what emperor was it? Mm-mm-mm. He was known as the crazy emperor. Kevin, do you know Nero? He was, he was corrupted and indulging on every sort of sin and debauchery he could possibly think of. Lusts, any form of passion that you could pursue, Nero wanted it. Anything. And when we indulge, it corrupts us. And from that place of corruption, we lose our authority. One of the biggest indulgences is is power and money. It kills our authority. This is why you see millionaires who have nothing and can't do anything because they've just been indulging. This is why you'll see people in marriage who indulge in a computer screen over and over and over again. They have no connection and no ability to walk with authority in their home. Tell me the last successful person that you've seen, and this can happen for a season even or moment but a person who has to go to the end of the bottle moment in and moment out and watching them walk with authority and building a healthy business Mm -mm. it might appear as a facade but it's not real and so when we indulge it corrupts and there will be limited authority This is true. This is true. I say walk by the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5. I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you are a king... And again, I'm going to use the example of video games. I know it's really silly and so 2022. But if you are a king and want to indulge in 84 hours of that stuff, it's not going to work. If you are a king and are indulging in a computer screen over and over and over again, it will not work. If you are a king and you are indulging in, and I struggle with this, food over and over and I'm killing my body. You know what happens when I eat unhealthy? M knows it. I start taking naps and I lose my time. 
I actually don't sleep well because I get congested when I eat unhealthily. And so I lose my time. When I don't treat my body well, I actually lose my time. I lose my time when I pick up my daughter in the morning after a, a Sunday and I'm exhausted because I haven't nourished my body. Because I desire the Reese cup and the cheesecake. I kill myself that way. And instead of stepping into Monday after preaching and giving my heart out and going for it, I thwart all my authority, I take all my energy away, self-indulged my own fault, no one else, and I walk like a zombie. I don't feel like a king those days. In fact, after I don't feel like a king, I beat myself up. Anyone else do that? So we need to walk according to the Spirit and watch what happens. Then, look at this. Go ahead. You can put this story up there. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas, I'm going to say, uh-oh, uh-oh. Do you, know, do you know that Judas was one of the 12 disciples that was actually given authority to go and cast out demons and heal people? And do you know he actually participated in heavenly authoritative things? He did it. Someone say he did it. He did it. Then he indulged. He did it, and then he indulged. He lived like a king under the king, and then he indulged. What's the result? Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted for him 30. Someone say 30. 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Early in the morning in the next chapter, or chapter 27, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So, so Judas did give him over. He greeted him with a kiss, and then Jesus was taken in. And so then, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. This is what happens when you are a king, and you indulge you're seized with remorse and shame and guilt and in fact at the at the very bottom of every addiction actually lies shame and guilt he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver he threw it on the ground to the chief priests and elders and he said i have sinned he said for i've betrayed innocent blood what is it what is it or what is that to us they replied that's your responsibility So he indulged. Can I tell you something? A man who once set people free was now a slave to 30 pieces of silver. How many pastors have you seen who are leading massive ministries and had changed thousands upon thousands of lives, lives that were now slaves to sexual immorality? And I'm not trying to be legalistic like you can't ever mess up. I will make mistakes every day of my life. I'm talking about alignment. I'm talking about I'm going after this 100%. I'm aligning with this. If I'm allowing indulgence and I'm embracing it, that's where we get messed up. Amen, church? He allowed 30 pieces to make him slave again. He couldn't deal with it. He couldn't deal with that. Then we go on. Where folly, someone say folly, a, a, a lack of understanding, knowledge, foolishness, someone say foolishness. Man, sometimes, 
Nick Miller, you're just a fool. Sometimes it's okay to admit we are fools. We make stupid decisions. In fact, you know, like, uh, oh, my gosh. How many times when you see a little child, you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you're about to make a mistake. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you let them do it, and they break a plate, or they spill juice all over themselves. Kiki. I know. She spills juice. I love her, though, but she's, she, sometimes she has foolishness. And where foolishness lingers, you got to learn. You got to learn. You can't keep making the same mistakes, the same thought patterns over and over and expect a different result. It can't happen. You got to get through. You got to keep growing. This is why I love I love church right now because y'all are pushing so hard to go to a different level of operation and authority. You're sponges. I can feel it. Y'all are sponges right now. You're learning. You're no longer walking in your old foolish ways. You're pushing forward. G even said that in a conversation in, in, a, in a team meeting. She's like, I just feel like that old stuff is getting pushed back. Those old ways are done. It's time to press into new wisdom, new understanding, new ways, new forms of operation. If I was still preaching like the youth pastor I was, this would be different. It's time to grow up, dog. It's good. That was great back then. Time to mature. So where folly lingers, there will be limited authority. Go ahead, put this up here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, he's not going to shame you for asking for wisdom. He's going to be like, yep, here's a whole bucket load of wisdom. Go for it. It will be given to you. If you don't know what to do, ask God and it will be given to you. One of the most beautiful things, there's this moment where in, in Acts, the gospel is being preached, but there's this distinction. And you and I, when we read the book, we have a, a, a post-Jesus understanding and operation. And so we're looking at their world, and they have a total different way of thinking and and, and operating. They're familiar with Jewish law and Jewish tradition. And so they're having this argument, can can God be for the Gentiles? In other words, people who aren't chosen, people who aren't um, a part of the Jewish faith. Can God be for them? And they were having this discussion, and yeah, this gets pretty graphic, but they were having this discussion on if new converts, believers, needed to be circumcised or not. Because that was the representation of if you were a follower of God, the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were having this problem. What do we do? Do we go to these grown men and do this? How do we preach the gospel? They even said this one statement. We don't want to make it difficult for those to believe. And not only that, we've seen God do miracles among the Gentiles. We've seen God, the Holy Spirit, come alive in Gentiles. We can't deny it. So what do we do? Do we enforce rule and law on them? Or how do we handle this? A great question in the church. And what they do, instead of just all going different ways and all just thinking about what they think about, elders and the apostles get together. They have a meeting. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter, the apostle Peter, got up and addressed them brothers you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe he is making the vision and the wisdom statement 
And in fact, it actually says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking from a place of being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, go ahead, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved just as they are. Wisdom. And from this meeting, they make a conclusion and they go forward in their kingdom. A meeting established a direction for the early church and equipped the early church with authority in its message. When there is wisdom, you start walking different. Let me ask you this. If you've been in a profession, let's say you know how to fix air conditioners because I don't know how they work. But when you learn and you have figured this out, you walk into a situation and say, yep, I know how to fix that. Let's change things. And so when you find wisdom and understanding, you walk into an authoritative place and an authoritative operation. Are y'all catching that today, church? You need wisdom. You need wisdom. I will say that I feel that I've grown in wisdom and it has changed my mode of operation. I think I have two more. Where there is constant compromise, there will be limited authority. I'm not talking about sin compromise. I'm talking about culture compromise. When we start deviating from the way that the kingdom operates, we sweep authority out of the kingdom. Where there is constant compromise, there will be limited authority. So if we say, hey, we want our church to be financially responsible, but we go and keep spending, 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 we're compromising our culture. And of course we don't have authority to go and do the things that we want to do. Y'all tracking with me, church? Look at what it says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. We're working for Him, and we do not compromise what He's teaching us and where He's called us to do. We don't waver. If the kingdom is about edification, it literally says in the word, let nothing come out of your mouth except for that which edifies. And when we start compromising that culture, what happens? Let's say you put someone down. How do you think that they're going to respond to you? And what authority do you think you're going to carry in their life? None. None. The apostles were brought in. Go ahead, go ahead. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. So they go and they do incredible acts and miracles and wonders and signs. And and they keep preaching about the Savior, Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees said, don't talk about God anymore. And they did not compromise. Someone say, no compromise. Look at this. The Sanhedrin questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. We told you not to speak about Jesus. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Yep. Yep. That's right. We're not compromising. You can tell us day in and day out till you're blue in the face to stop. But I'm not stopping. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. He's given you culture, and they're not compromising or swaying on that culture. You can bring all your tough guy Pharisees and Sanhedrins that you want. You can try intimidating us, but we'd rather obey God more than you. You can swing at us. You can make us feel really bad. Doesn't matter. I'm not compromising. 
And from this place, their numbers and their authority only grew and grew and grew. Compromise, I wrote this down. Compromise leads to killed culture. Did you know that, church? So again, we want to build an edifying church where people all are welcome. But then we talk poorly about people behind their backs. Wow, does that kill the culture of the church? And then we want to operate with authority on how to lead people. It ain't gonna, it, it's not going to happen. If there's compromised culture, it ain't going to happen. They were unwilling to kill their Christ-given authority. Peter and the apostles were unwilling to compromise and kill their authority. We're going to obey God rather than you. Sorry. Not really, but yeah. Don't compromise. Amen, church? Kingdom culture, we hold to it. Then lastly is this, where disorder continues. Ah, sometimes we're just crazy, yeah? Where disorder continues, there will be limited authority. There will be limited authority. When we're not following the orders, think about an army. If we're moving and we're flanking and we made a plan, someone say plan, and we've made a plan, if there is disorder and there is not adherence to the plan, what authority does the plan have? None. And it falls apart and it fails. And so where there is disorder and people go in all different directions and not listening and not being obedient, there will be limited authority. Look at it, it says it like this, one of my favorites, James 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Follow the orders. Follow the direction. Don't go and be crazy and have your own. No, no, no. Stick to the plan here. Real simple. Stick to the plan. My, my day feels chaotic. See, like, I, so, like, I like, I'm not a planner, but I like the plan. Anyone, you know what I'm saying? Like, Emmy likes the spontaneity in life. I'm like, no, ma'am, I need to know who, who's where, who's what, who's doing this. My life feels chaotic when there's, when there is no order. And I got to get better at that. Better at responding. But I like the plan. And when we stick to the plan, we actually operate with a lot more power. Do what the word says. That's the plan. Go and make disciples of all nations. Honor one another above yourselves. Love people. Right? All these things. Stick to the script here. Do what it says. When Jesus called the 12 together, look at this. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and, and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, this is where instruction comes in. Take nothing for the journey. Stick to the plan. So when he says take nothing for this journey, that means don't take anything. You'll be okay. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Can I tell you that that authority to go and actually live this out was there because they stuck to the plan. And I'll say it like this, and this is how I feel about the plan. Obedience actually unlocks the authority within any plan. And so, again, if we and Emily and I want to get on the same page as far as helping Warren learn how to be a good listener, and we make a plan, all, all authority in that plan and all power in that plan is crushed the minute that we deviate from it. 
the minute that we operate in disorder, that's when it falls apart. So if we're going to do the, quote, timeout chair method, whenever Nick Miller doesn't do the timeout and deviates from the plan and there's disorder, how's it teaching Warren? None. Y'all catching me, church? This week is a beautiful week to look at yourself and do an assessment. Is there anything that I'm doing that is robbing the authority from my life? Is fear winning? Cut it out. If there's disorder and you're not doing what the word is telling you, get on the page. Go for it. Hmm. So much. This is the one challenge for you and for me. And this is what I'll say as a king. There is one thing that you can take home from this message. It's this. Let us watch over the authority that the king has given to us. you got to watch over it. This doesn't just happen. This isn't just some happenstance. It's not just because you're lucky. It's not just because you did some cool things. No. You actually have to watch over what has been given to you. You have to keep it well. You have to nurture it. You have to be responsible for it. Look at what this says. This is in Proverbs. So simple. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this. Above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. For everything that you do flows from it. If you're not guarding yourself, if you're not watching over yourself, if you're not making sure that you yourself is healthy, that authority, every bit of authority that you have might be thwarted. So all of these factors, and there's probably many more that you're thinking of, all of these factors that we just talked about that limit your authority, watch over that and fix some things. Amen, church? Be a great king. Personal management. Remember, we talked about how most kingdoms fall because of a lack or a, a lack of personal management or a mismanagement of self. You have authority. You are a king. You have a great responsibility. Now live like it and maintain it well. Amen, church. Jesus gave you this authority. He died and rose again to give you every bit of this heavenly authority. Let's use it and maintain it well. Heavenly authority needs to be maintained by a heavenly lifestyle. Jesus, we lift you up. We thank you. We thank you that you teach us how to maintain that which you've given us. We thank you that we do not have to allow these external things or this personal mismanagement any longer to to steal or rob us of the authority that you have given us in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for the authority that we've been given, and we want to utilize it and honor it well in your mighty name. Everybody said... Amen.